This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. If you are not necessarily connected with one person with a million dollars, if you connect to a million people with one dollar, then that is a, a different, more sustainable and a more effective uh, way to govern. This week, my guest is Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin, Mandela Barnes. He's the first African-American Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin. And if you're wondering what a Lieutenant Governor does, don't worry, I asked him. And yes, he is named after a very famous and beloved South African. In this episode, we spoke about his dedication to public service and the importance of providing opportunity and access to everyone. We both agreed on the need for less money in politics and the importance of having a sense of humor. Here's our conversation. Well, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to speak with you today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm, a, I'm really excited to be here, have a chance to speak with you as well. Yeah, I think it'll be good. So I'm going to start by asking you the question I ask all my guests, and it's right. about our resumes and how they're not a full explanation of who we are. And so what would you say is missing from your resume that people should know about you? One of the things that, uh, you know, obviously never makes the resume is uh, I am, I, I, I got a pretty, my, my sense of humor. <laughs> that's that's the thing that it will never probably make it into a resume because it's not what anybody's looking for when they're uh, looking to em- employ people. So uh, sense of humor is definitely up there. Um, I think that it's important because there are always some difficult situations to navigate uh, in life and personal life and professional life. And I think that having a sense of humor helps me get through a lot of that. I mean, I would say, especially being in politics, you probably need that. You got to have it. Um, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people just don't have personalities in general. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's that's one of the things that's, that's missing. Everybody's like always constantly putting on the act or, you know, they're in performance mode. And mm-hmm. It kind of it cheapens, it kind of cheapens the delivery. And also people then take themselves too seriously and can't sort of like admit faults and whatnot. People, a lot of people will take themselves too seriously and get to a point where it's like, you know, their opinion is the only opinion that matters or whatever sort of uh, little thing that happens in the grand scheme of everything is the most important thing. And Mm -hmm. it's a whole lot to navigate. Yeah. And, you know, okay, so I obviously want to talk about how you got into politics. But first, I want to ask about your name, because as a South African, I realized that you have a name that is the same as a very famous politician. So maybe you could like tell us why your name is Mandela. Yeah. Is that a weird question? It's not a weird like, question. Why is, why is your name your name? <laughs> not, not, not a weird question at all. Um, not a weird question at all. And, you know, uh, it is a it is a name that a, that a few people may know. <laughs> um, I was named after Nelson Mandela. My dad uh, decided to name me that, um, you know, just based on what was going on at the time and Nelson Mandela's fight to uh, end apartheid in South Africa. And so just recognizing the struggle that was going on there that was so similar to many struggles here in the States at a point in time, uh, I guess that was sort of the legacy that my dad wanted to uh, put forward or sort of instill in me to implant into my being, so to say. And so then how did you get into politics? Like, was this something that you wanted to do from when you were younger or did the name? 
Yeah, I won't say that it was necessarily something I wanted to do, you know, from a young age. But, you know, growing up, having the name, everybody's always like, oh, you got so much to live up to. You got so much to live up to. I'm like, all right, well, thanks for the burden. Um, (laughs) But then uh, I I guess as I got older, uh, you know, I was got involved in different organizations, different groups and was able to, you know, get into leadership positions in those organizations and those groups. And, um, you know, halfway through college, I decided that I wanted to take a, a more political route, uh, a more, but it wasn't necessarily politics. It was more about, you know, public service. I was involved in student government. I was mm-hmm. involved in a number of other campus organizations. And uh, that was important to me. And I wanted to figure out how I could continue down that road, uh, you know, after college. And so politics was a likely, a likely direction. And I took a job on a campaign right after school and the rest is history. I love that. And as I was, you know, doing some research and whatnot, you are the first African-American Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin. And I wonder, like, how does that feel? Is that something that you're proud of or is it something that is, you know, disappointing because why are we still having firsts in like 2020 and 2021? Like, you know, is it, it, does it feel disappointing or is it sort of a mix of both? No, certainly proud of the fact that I wouldn't even say disappointed because Wisconsin is, I mean, there's, as far as racial diversity, it's, it's not really, you know, here in Wisconsin, our, our black population is about six and a half percent. Our uh, Latino population is about six and a half percent as well. So I wouldn't say that there's a disappointment there. Not if you're going off, uh, not if you're purely basing it off demographics. Yeah, that makes sense. And and sort of speaking about the black population, I've read that Milwaukee is one of the worst places to be raised black. And so could you talk about sort of, you know, your interest in public service and, and the need to provide opportunity for people? Exactly. It's all about opportunity. Um, a lot of historical factors are what place, uh, you know, are, are the city and the state in, in those categories. Uh, but the, the thing about it is, you know, prior to, you know, whatever you want to categorize the turning point. A lot of people look towards the mid to late 80s, uh, you know, when, when crack cocaine was showing up in communities and how that led to a lot of devastation, mm-hmm. coupled with deindustrialization of, uh, of cities like Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, Gary, Indiana. I mean, these were the places that black people flocked to for opportunity. Uh, it's why my grandparents moved up here. Uh, this is where the good paying jobs were. And this is where you saw some of the strongest black middle classes in the entire country. And so there were a lot of things that, that, that shifted, that changed that, that pulled the rug under uh, many people's feet. And it's important for us to be forward thinking, uh, recognizing the past and the opportunities that existed there, uh, but also understanding that it's going to be very difficult for those days to come back. Uh, however, there are other opportunities for us uh, along the way. Uh, we just have to be forward thinking in our approach. We just have to uh, let the past inform us, but also you know, let the future guide us. Mm-hmm. And thinking about emerging industries and how we can take advantage of that, whether it's here in Wisconsin uh, or specifically in Milwaukee, and making sure that the opportunities are provided to the communities that have been hurt the most when you know decisions to uh, ship operations to other places, uh, impacts individuals, families, 
entire community, city, entire state, and it gives us a bad rap. Uh, I personally believe that better is possible. I personally believe that we can get back uh, to a place that's even better than it was before uh, when my granddad moved here. Yeah, it's sort of that like, you know, some a door closes or, or we get we lose something. And instead of focusing on where we could be heading next, we all like to just sit and wallow in the like, this is no longer a possibility instead of like, well, then this now makes this other thing a possibility. Well, that's the thing about it. Um, there are so many possibilities that, you know, we don't even know of yeah. or don't immediately think of. Uh, a lot of times we have to create those possibilities, right? <laughs> I think that there are a lot of in intelligent people. Seriously, that's what innovation is. And I think there are a lot of intelligent people in some spaces that often go ignored. I think that when we fail to properly resource our schools and communities, uh, we, we, we pay the price in lack of innovation because the children that are going to these schools won't be able to fully express themselves or be, them, be their full selves or get to a point where they can uh, give back all that they possibly could just because they weren't able to have the access that students a few miles down the road have because, mm -hmm. you know, the property values in that community are higher and their schools get funded at a different rate, providing them other opportunities for enrichment, for arts, for recreation, for sports, whatever the, whatever the uh, deal may be. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm maybe selfishly asking this for myself because I am very interested in the answer. What does the role of Lieutenant Governor entail? Like what, what's the day to day look like? And also I know that you're, you know, very much into like the climate change efforts and, and, and sort of, could you talk about your in-state climate efforts? Yeah. So the role of Lieutenant Governor varies from state to state. Uh, just depends on where you are. Uh, and Wisconsin, uh, the role of lieutenant governor is essentially to serve at the discretion of the governor. So I get to lead the task force on climate change, like you just mentioned, but I also sit on a number of other councils and task forces as well. Uh, I get to serve as sort of a liaison to the governor. And I get to serve as sort of a, a spokesperson for the administration in many instances. I uh, get to work with all of our state agencies and promoting the work that they do. And I uh, get to be a part of that work as, as well, bringing my own uh, experiences to the table, uh, bringing my own perspective to the table. And um, I, I think that the work that we are able to do in this position has been a little bit different than it's been in, in previous administrations. Uh, and honestly, what it all comes down to here specifically in the state is your relationship with the governor. And yeah. I do have a great relationship with our governor. And that sort of helps things. Uh, because you know, when you agree or are on the same page and have that, uh, have, have that camaraderie, um, you know, it, it makes governing a lot easier. We bounce ideas off of each other and, you know, we show up when it's time to show up. Yeah. Not like what, when was it when the U S whoever used to lose like the presidential election still got to serve as vice president. And it's like, well, I feel like we're kind of setting people up for failure, but okay. Yeah, that's the way that's the way it used to be. But, you know, here. So some states, you know, running for lieutenant governor, you do it completely independent. Okay. So like you can have a governor of one party and a lieutenant governor of a different party. And that's actually not uncommon. 
Well, this is probably why I'm not in politics. I thought I was going to be a diplomat, and then I realized I probably wouldn't be the best diplomat. So, so I wonder, what do you think needs to change with American politics today? I know that's not like a very simple question, but, you know, we've, we've had our turmoil for years, and I don't think we've gotten out on the other side yet. So I'm always looking for people's thoughts on where we need to go next. So we have some very undemocratic institutions, and I think mm-hmm. that uh, money in politics makes uh, our democracy less democratic. I think that there are issues around gerrymandering, which also uh, gives a, a an unfair advantage to, to, to people that didn't earn the power that they've gotten. And it totally silences the voice of, uh, of the majority of people who support a different path for this country. And uh, many people even, you know, look at the United States Senate as an undemocratic institution and given an unfair advantage to to a lot of uh, to a lot of smaller states. Uh, while, you know, bills that move through the House often get stalled with overwhelming support of, of, of Americans. Yeah. And, and then the Supreme Court as well. I know, you know, they they go through their session in June and make all these decisions and then we're just all sort of like we all have to sit with them. <laughs> you got you got you got to sit with them. It's uh it, it's it's very very um it, it's very unfortunate how 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 the will of the people is so often disregarded. 100%. And I mean, I don't have the solution, but I you know, I think politicians like you being honest about the fact that there are institutions that are undemocratic, I think is probably definitely a first step. Um, So I appreciate that. And I wanted to speak about politics changing in America, but also, you know, Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times in Wisconsin. And I wonder, I'm guessing you have to work very closely with the police. And so I wonder what your thoughts are in dealing with police violence, but also structural racism in your state and then the, the wider country. Yeah, we do have to work closely with them. Uh, but that doesn't mean we dismiss the facts. That doesn't mean we dismiss the reality. Our goal is to make sure that quality of life uh, is good for everyone in the state. It should mean that you know people should feel safe on the job and people should feel safe in their communities. And it could be seen as a delicate balance, but mm-hmm. just doing the right thing uh, makes that much less delicate. Uh, and I, I think that there are a lot of things that people have to come to terms with. You know, I had a, I was in a, a pretty, um, I, w- I was in an area and I, ta- I was talking to a police chief who's a Republican and, you know, when he first, he's like, Hey, man, I just want to, you know, second to talk. And it was just like, um, he said, uh, there are definitely some things, you know, we need to improve on. And, you know, there are police officers, police chiefs that it, you know, want to, but on the whole, unfortunately, there is a, a a culture in policing that leads to those sort of outcomes that 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 leads to uh, not to an idea of necessarily enforcing the law, but being above the law, and that's the problem we 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 run into, and we have people who want to police communities but don't want to live in the communities that they police. Yeah. We have uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of bias and we also have an issue that exists in the military as well and this has been documented uh, by by the FBI about, you know, uh, white nationalism being on the rise in the military and in law enforcement across the country. Yeah. And 
I'm wondering, and tell me if this doesn't make sense or does make sense, but sort of in your role, are you given the space to engage with how events impact and interact with your identity? Like, you know, in the US people are always like, identity politics, this, we're not gonna talk about it. And it's like, well, actually everything is about our identities. So mm. what you're saying is when it's not about the white identity, we're not gonna talk about it. But when we bring it back to our identity as black people, then it's like, no, this is identity politics. And so I'm wondering, you know, when black men are shot, that does something to our people. And so, I, you know, do people sort of give you a moment to reflect or a moment to take care of yourself and your family? Or, you know, are they just sort of on you? Like, we need you to speak on this. We we need a statement and, and sort of negate to remember that you are a black man who can also be affected by what's happening. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, so many experiences are just so easily disregarded but mm -hmm. i find that the fact that I'm, I'm in this position and i'm able to talk to a broader swath of people it's less about making it personal for me but mm -hmm. it's more about connecting the issue to people that may not have otherwise cared or connecting the issue of people who don't have that immediate perspective or see it as something that won't ever happen to them. And I can apply it to this issue or I can apply it to, to many other issues yeah. in, in, in reverse, right? And that's, uh, I think that's what it means to, to be in this sort of role, to you know try to create and build those bridges uh, across communities to create some level of understanding for people that just don't or just wouldn't otherwise uh, you know, understand what a person's life may be or what a person's experiences may be or how that impacts us all. And that's the important part too. You know, trying to it's more than just building bridges, it's more about, you know, it's it's uh it's weaving the basket. It's putting it all together. So I agree with that, but I think that building bridges and, and sort of educating nonstop or or most of the time people that you know, we're constantly questioning your humanity can be exhausting. And mm -hmm. so I wonder sort of what keeps you going and like in moments like that, like what sustains you? Yeah, it's it, it can be incredibly exhausting, but we, we, we see where we are as a result of not having those conversations. You know, we see what happens as a result of continued uh, dismissal and disregard of, uh, of, of people's reality. Yeah. And so who would you say are the people who sort of have inspired you, maybe personally and and politically? Yeah, I mean, I mean, politically, like my just obvious answer is like Barack Obama, right? That was very inspiring campaign mm -hmm. that uh, is even even as uh, coming into being you know, around 2004. It was incredibly inspiring for me. Yeah. I, I would say personally and politically. And what would you say that you'd want your legacy in, in politics to be? That we change the game, that we change the conversation, <laughs> that we that, that we made people think differently uh, about what it means to to be in this sort of role and to even get engaged in politics. Because there's this idea of what a person should be. There's this idea that you need a whole lot of money. There's this idea that you need to be incredibly politically connected. And in many ways, it is very, very true, yeah. um, save for a few instances. Uh, however, 
the fact is some of those hurdles can be overcome where people, whereas, you know, a lot of people feel like you need to be connected in the right political circles to be um, politically successful. The fact is, if you are connected with everyday people, then those political circles matter less and less. If you are not necessarily connected with one person with a million dollars, if you connect to a million people with one dollar, then that is a, a different, more sustainable and a more effective uh, way to govern because you are you know, carrying on the perspective of, of, of so many more individuals versus uh, that, that, that small cadre uh, of people that are self-interested. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, the way things used to be has clearly changed so much because of COVID. And um, I wanted to ask you, what have, you know, what did 2020 and sort of COVID-19 teach you about Wisconsin, the people, the U.S. in general, your humanity? Like, is, is there something that stuck out to you about that time? I mean, it just exposed so many fissures that already existed. You know, the things that we already knew were problems, health disparities, income disparities, uh, vulnerability in communities, uh, you know, but also like the anti-science rhetoric, uh, <laughs> anti-seriously, you know, it's like the, the, the people that like just deny that this, um, that the virus existed in the first place. And these are the same people that deny that climate change exists. The same people that deny that we have a race problem in America. You know, it's just a lot of folks that dismiss reality mm-hmm. and, that stuff, like we already knew who they were, uh, but it just became exposed to a, a much higher degree. Do you have some advice that you could share on A, how to deal with those people, but then also, you know, someone that looks like you that is trying to get into politics today? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, you know, the people are like brick walls, right? You're not necessarily going to get through. Uh, but if you can get around and, and get to other people, especially before the disinformation and misinformation starts to spread, uh, you know, I, I think that you can a- at least move closer to better outcomes. And for people who are interested in politics, interested in government, I always tell people to work on a campaign before you decide to run for office because there's so many things that you just won't ever recognize. There's so many seriously like you just mm-hmm. you just wouldn't know I, I know people who theoretically could have been great candidates but had no you know had no experience of, of what it meant to actually run a campaign and it is a different world right it, you see the snapshots on tv or social media you think you just put out a couple of tweets and that's gonna win you the election the west wing everyone's like okay it's like the, the west or the, wing or, 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 or tv <laughs> shows like the west wing right but but like this day and age like you know, people say, oh, yeah, you give, you know, one speech and then you're going to win the election. Right. Uh, or you think you're just going to go viral. Like people like <laughs> think that you know, every moment's going to be, uh, you know, full of viral content. But that's not the reality. Some people some people look up and hit the jackpot. But that's what it is. It's, it's, it's a jackpot and a lottery if you want to go at it that way. The reality is most people don't become successful in politics based off of you know, one speech or, or, or one tweet. And like even Barack Obama, like that 2004 speech is mm-hmm. what set him up, but it was all the work that led up to it. And it was the contents uh, of that speech, right? He yeah. didn't, you know, he didn't just show up. Like there was a reason why he was actually on the stage to even be able to, to deliver uh, that, that speech at the DNC. Yeah. Well, 
I appreciate all your answers. And so now I need to ask you the two most important questions. First, what is your greatest fear for humanity? Climate change. Valid. Uh, because so much comes with that. Uh, climate change interrupts our food systems. It, uh, it, it, it will change the way that people, where people are able to live, which is going to lead to overcrowding in some places. And if we continue to go down this route and also just a way of life, you know, like it is a national security threat, you know, mm -hmm. people's land becomes uninhabitable. If people can't grow food, they're going to go into other places. And sometimes people are going to go to places where they aren't welcome, which is going to lead to violence. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that last part. And then what would you say is your greatest hope for humanity? Uh, my greatest hope is with the with the youth next generation. Like we, you know, every generation seems to be more engaged than the previous, and that's a that's a good thing. You know, a, a bunch of well informed people who are committed to justice, committed to democracy, and committed to uh, seeing us move forward in in an inclusive way to to making sure that countries like the United States of America live up to their promise. Yeah, I'm placing all my bets on the youth. They're very smart, so I'm, I'm putting it all on them, too. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Lieutenant Governor. Of course. This has been great. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. Take care. Well, you take care, too. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. And don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu.